Aloha, everyone. Welcome to the second, only the second episode of Wise Ask, uh, which was originally recorded for the Wisdom app. And now it is going to live forever on Our Undoing Radio. Um, the list of podcasts here grows longer. So this is the second sort of introductory episode to my uh, spiritual shenanigans. Um dealing with the I am awakening onward. And uh, I guess the only thing that I didn't say in, by way of intro in the first episode that I should say now is that there's another aspect to this Wisdom app, which is that people can ask questions. And if you have the Wisdom app, you can too. You can ask me questions either using your own name or anonymously, which I then have 60 seconds to answer. <laughs> like, like if I record it, I have 60 seconds to, to record a response. So if you have a question like that where you're like, hey, here's a quick, quick one, um, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, and I will take those and I will also use them um, between segments here if I have segments or just however. However I edit it in, I will perhaps edit them in. And sometimes what I use them for is not just – um, to answer in 60 seconds, but then I use them as a springboard into uh, full-on episodes of the show. So you'll be hearing some of those when you hear this chime. You'll know that what follows is going to be a 60-second answer to something someone has already asked me not unlike this. How can we connect? I'm curious to co-host together and see what magic comes of us. Well, that, that'd be cool. I'm down to co-host with uh, pretty much anyone, so... Um... I, it's unfortunate that this app doesn't have any sort of calendar where we can like do that or a way to just talk to each other to set that up. But I guess if anyone out there, if you or anyone else would like to co-host with me, um, you can write to me, Jeremy at our and um, we can, you know, set up a time to do that. Otherwise pretty much whenever I'm on, I'm babbling for as long as that takes. And then I ask anyone if they'd like to, Come chat. Let's chat. Um, so if you can find me randomly and sit through my babble, there's always that option. But uh, Jeremy at OurUndoing.com, and uh, we can connect that way. People of wisdom. I think I'm going to start calling my show Wise Ask because, uh, you know, all the implications there. Welcome to Wise Ask. Uh, I'm your host. I don't know if I'm a host, but your mentor. I don't know if I'm that. Pretty sure my name is Jeremy Vaney, and um, I'm going to do um, yet another monologue. This is part de of uh, a uh, an autobiographical sketch, which will be important as we move forward. And starting the next talk, which was inspired actually by uh, a listener who asked a question about um, about why it is that this, this all-important self-identity of ours is so screwed up. Um, I'm going to start with that question. So definitely ask me questions. And also, starting in the next talk, I will be certainly open for guests. So feel free to join in that one. In this one, I'm going to continue where I left off. But I'm actually, I want to make sure everything is as perfect as possible, since this is the springboard launching us into the future talks. 
So I'm actually going to do something I don't generally do, which is read this experience from my book, Urgency. I was going to do it off the cuff, but it just dawned on me today that I should probably just read it uh, and make it as little boring as possible. Because I know oftentimes reading is like uh, hearing someone read, but I think I can pull this off and make it interesting. Um, so we were previously talking about Kundalini energy, Kundalini aliveness. And uh, I gave you some samples of what that is. Not everything, of course, and because we'll be talking about it more in the future. So why inundate you with the uh, unimportant details all up front? Um, I also talked about a second type of energy, which is like this. It feels as though a slit opens at the base of the spine and this energy pours forth. And the first time it was just this blissful beating energy. The second time it was, I don't know, uh, a, 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 a room share with a demony looking thing that didn't do anything demony. And then there's this third time. And this is to date the last time. So um, I'm taking this from my, again, my book urgency. It's page 226. It's the uh, appendix a, because I hide all my best material in the appendices. And it goes a little something like this. <clears throat> I refuse to trap myself in meanings and metaphors. Had I explored my psychic awakenings and decoded every little message thrown my way, I would not have fully woken up. These can quickly become tricks the self plays to remain in control using the new tools at its disposal. The self struggles for survival all along the way. Think of yourself as a motorcyclist racing toward Godhead. There's no time for detours, and if you get too distracted by the scenery whizzing by, you'll end up in a daydream that may be your last. Um, so there I'm talking about why it is I didn't attach myself to any of the awakening stuff that was happening in this period of Kundalini awakening, which, uh, actually, I mean, really what it felt like was I was getting tastes of things like here, this is possible. This is possible. This is the truth about it, you know? Um, and that's important because a lot of us, uh, refuse to discern, to have discernment because we mistake it for judgment. and actually. Discernment is hugely important, and we will talk about that in the future. I'm going to go on with my reading here. Um, so this leads into the section called I Am Awakening, and this happened to me. Well, you'll see. On Thursday, March 25th, 2004, I went to bed with an ungodly headache. I hadn't had problems with headaches since being prescribed glasses for strained eyesight in high school. But for the past few weeks, when I partook in any form of sexual activity, this enormous sharp pain would flare through my skull. I'd see bright light apparently radiating out from my eyes. It was bad enough that, uh, sorry, it was bad enough to put a halt to my sex life, a new spin on the old not tonight, dear, I have a headache line. This headache was different in that it was not sex related. It was just there. I decided not to take Advil for it because when I finally flopped mattress at around 4 a.m., my tiredness exceeded the pain. I figured I'd sleep it off, and I did for about an hour and a half. However, when I got up to use the bathroom between 5.30 and 6, I could feel it lingering in a subdued state, biding its time. I was restive enough now, and the pain was annoying enough now, that I couldn't fall back asleep. I tossed a bit in bed, vainly searching for a comfortable sleeping arrangement. Finally, I rolled onto my left side, facing the wall, and lay awake with my eyes closed. 
I huffed a sigh of frustration, stubbornly not wanting to give in to the need for medicine. Without warning, I felt that ethereal slit near the tailbone cut open with surgical precision. Like the previous two times, it wasn't painful and wasn't obviously and wasn't ob- and wasn't an obvious physical cut. The now familiar, overwhelmingly blissful energy coursed through my body. My eyes were closed, but I was filled with white light. I couldn't tell if it was an external light source because I refused to look. I felt as if there were people in the room behind me. I knew I could move, but whatever was happening, if there was something akin to surgery taking place on my spine, I didn't want to risk hurting myself, so I lay still. I felt as if there were people in the room behind me. Did I just say that? Yeah, people. Aliens, demons, leprechauns, chuds, something. Multiple invisible presences I cannot explain, just like in all those Discovery Channel specials where the brain researcher induces phantom sensations in test subjects by manipulating their temporal lobes. The difference between that doctor-manipulated feeling a presence in the room and my feeling a presence in the room is everything else that's going on at the same time and what comes next. My sense of awareness breathes out through that spinal slit. And then, nothing. Blank. Nothing. The absence of all things. My body. My pain. The invisible doctors. My bedroom. Earth. Stars. Ideas. This book. Time. Matter. Energy. All things do not exist. That nothingness is unbridled awareness the moment it perceives itself which is now. In the now moment, an image forms, an image of awareness growing. This looks like a two-dimensional perfect circle of water or clarity expanding in all directions evenly over blackness. I am this and I'm watching this. I am nothingness. I am unbridled consciousness stretching to infinity. At the same time, I am again aware of myself as Jeremy, the man in the bed witnessing this. As Jeremy... I feel this stretching of consciousness as a physical sensation in my brain. I think I'm dying. As the clarity expands over black, I feel the elasticity of the visual in my brain. It feels like something is going to snap, and I'm worried I'm having an aneurysm. The clarity does snap, but I don't die. Instead, a tiny dot of light flashes in the dark. From this light explodes the three-dimensional universe. Planets. Enormous, colorful, beautiful. Hot rock hurling through what is now space. Suns, stars, debris, solar wind. All of everything explodes out of this light, and I am now also that everything. I am watching this, and I am this. I am the consciousness previous to all things. I am all things. I am the stars and the planets. I am the rushing solar wind. I can focus on particulars and the big picture at the same time. I am the sun to a solar system, a light unto myself, the death rite of all humans who lived in this full understanding. The Egyptians had that exactly right. Alone and brilliant, strong beyond strength, and giving life, I am a god to the dark. I am the rays of light shooting off of me, rushing for as long as I live to the nearest giant floating rock able to sustain the life I offer. I am the wind of that planet blowing at a blur across oceans and through lush green trees, which are also me. I am the sea of living things and all the things in it. I am spirit, the divine smile, loving all aspects of myself, delighting in my timelessness 
through the action of time. I'm watching this and am this, watching this and am this. I'm also Jeremy Vaney, lying on my side in bed with this headache, awake and awake. I feel people behind me. I'm scared, certain that I'm dying. All of these perceptions are happening at the same moment. And I'm dying. This is it. My focus settles on a humongous red planet many times brighter than the image of Mars. I'm dying. I'm dying. Oh, shit, I'm dying. A disembodied female voice, filled with strength, compassion, sweetness, and concern, says, Do we humans not understand that other planets cannot help us if we continue, uh, if we continue to block them out and kill ourselves? In the background, my own voice repeats on a loop. Lizette Larkin's talking to extraterrestrials. 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 What is this? Who is that female voice? I know her. That that message is stupid. I, I don't want any more of this. Why is this happening? Why am I thinking about Lizette Larkin's? This is nonsense. I am the universe. I am love. I am. I'm dying. I got to get out of this. Focus. The headache. Focus on the headache. Focus on the headache. I concentrate on the pain in my skull. And by doing so, pull myself back into normal local body awareness. I can see the murky interior of my body from the inside, my own blood, my spine and brain, as my consciousness travels back up the cord to its rightful seat. Slit seals itself like a Ziploc bag. I leap out of bed and pace back and forth, laughing to myself like a caged hyena. I just became God. I just witnessed and was the creation of the universe from nothing. I just tasted a brand of love we only imagine exists. Who will believe this? Who can I tell about this? I know, my dad. <laughs> it's 6 a.m., but my dad's an early riser. He's a Protestant minister who never shoved Jesus down the family's throat. All of that God hocus-pocus was never the point to him. Being a good person was. He deserves to know that in a broader context of some, some of that hocus-pocus is true. I call him. He's asleep. How he hears the phone through his snoring is anyone's guess, but he does and picks up. I ramble incoherently about this giant experience. I learn on the spot that words become a crime when you try to describe it, but that doesn't stop me from trying. He listens, then sleepily whispers some unmemorable affirmations. He must think I've lost it. The only thing I've lost is my headache. We hang up, and I jot down that one sentence I remembered the disembodied female voice uttering before I chose to ignore her and swim back into my own body. That female voice, that familiar female voice I've heard during quote-unquote alien abductions. Who are you? I have no memory of ever seeing her, but her voice is rich in compassion. Perhaps hers is the very voice of compassion itself. I read her sentence back to myself. Do we humans not understand that other planets cannot help us if we continue to black them out and kill ourselves? Ugh, God, I think. That's horrible. Considering the scope of the experience, what an awful, bland, generic 1950s contactee-style message that is. I sit on my bed, pondering what had really just happened. Were there people in my room? Did doctors open a piece of undiscovered biology by the base of the spine that made me, quote-unquote, wake up to Godhead and experience creation? They weren't there when I leaped out of bed. Where did they go? How did they go? I made coherence of the tapestry of events this way. A, 
there must be a difference between my perception of the mechanics of this and the actual mechanics of it. Is there an opening by the spine, or does it just feel that way? Were there people in the room, or is that feeling the byproduct of some internal perceptual shift? B. Because this was so beyond anything I have a reference for, I tried to make it fit within the alien abduction context. Once I regained my sense of personal self, I was scared. I thought I was at death's door. The Lizette Larkin's reference, the familiar voice, the simplistic contactee message, these were the superfluous concoctions of an ego in its death throes, grasping at parts to build a comfortable, to build a comfort zone. Lending credence to point B was the fact that I'd gotten the title of Ms. Larkin's book wrong. I'd never read a Lizette Larkin's book, but nearly a year prior, this awakening, I had heard her on a radio show called Dreamland with Whitley Strieber. There she was promoting her latest book, Calling on Extraterrestrials. Calling on is different than talking to, obviously. The discrepancy served evidence that the alien aspect of my experience was of my own making, like in a dream when things almost look accurate, but there's something factually off about the setting or one of the characters. As unclear as the ending of that timeless moment had been for me, one thing was crystal. I turned my back on the moment. I didn't just do this within the experience by pulling myself back into my body via the headache that anchored me. When I leaped out of bed and paced my bedroom, I knew I had a choice. No one said this. It was there. It was me. I was the choice. Do I toss this into the bin of cool experiences and go through the motions of life like that's all it was? Or do I engage it as the stage on which I live? Do I adopt the oneness point of view? Do I allow God's self-awareness to light this vessel or go back to being me? The answer came as quickly as the question. I must remain myself and write about it. I must turn my back on God's self-awareness for now and try to connect with people from within their frame of reference. I didn't know if explaining this coherently would be possible from the stage beyond stages, so why risk it? And since waking up is about all of us doing so, not just little old me, I had to risk coming back to normal. This was another version of the choiceless choice. Do I selfishly take enlightenment when all must awaken for enlightenment to be the case? Not I, Fly. So I abandon God to talk to you. You are my final attachment. When this book is over, I'm going home. Come with me. I ruminated over the experience for four months before looking up Lizette Larkin's books. I don't know why it hadn't occurred to me to look them up sooner. In hindsight, it's, you know, the obvious first thing I should have done. Lo and behold, she wrote a book entitled Talking to Extraterrestrials, Communicating with Enlightened Beings. You might suppose that this was the big reveal that made me rethink the whole alien aspect of my God experience. And you'd be right if two weeks later I didn't get a call from the Learning Annex in New York that went something like this. Me. Hello. Learning Annex. Hi. So, what you up to tonight? Me. Eh, nothing much. Thinking about taking in a movie. You want to come over? Learning Annex. Sure. Will there, be, will there be delicious snacks? Me. Is that a euphemism for something? Learning Annex. Excuse me? Me. Never mind. All right, all right. It didn't go like that. I embellished. Sue me. The friendly woman on the other end told me that someone had highly recommended me as a guest speaker, which was odd since I'd never given a public speech, not counting radio interviews. She said the, the she said they had a three hour time slot to fill, 
and they'd offered and they'd offered a similar class before that was successful. Could I teach it? Sure, sure. I'm just the man for the job. I lied. Truth was, I'd never taught anything in my life. Great. The class we did before was called How to Communicate with Enlightened Beings. This woman from Canada taught it. Lizette, Lizette something. That wouldn't be Lizette Larkins by any chance, would it? I offered. Yes, you've heard of her. Oh, great. Yeah, you're not going to believe this, but... Then, <laughs> I related the I am experience to the learning annex rep as best I could without sounding too crazy to be trusted with a class. The conversation forced me to reassess the alien aspect of the experience. I figured one of two things was the case. Either I had a psychic brain fart in the middle of this giant revelation that predicted the learning annex calling me, or this Lizette Larkins woman was the disembodied voice that spoke of humans blocking out other planets. Was it possible, I now wondered, that two abductee authors were involved in the same alien activities on the same night? That female voice did ask, do we humans not understand? Not do you humans. If this was her, and hers is the same voice I always hear during quote-unquote alien encounters, does that mean I've known Lizette all my life? Is she abducting me? Or keeping me calm during abductions? Could this get any more ridiculously X-Files, please? I tracked down the phantom Lizette and emailed her an abbreviated version of the story. I didn't want to give out too much detail so as not to influence her possible recollection of the events of that night. She replied promptly, basically saying that she has no recall of anything happening on that night and, quote, Further, when we start to consider that at any moment each of our souls are experiencing many different incarnations, both human and non-human, then it's not surprising that a particular soul may only be aware of that which is most pressing at the moment. Certain experiences trump other experiences as it relates to recall. So for you, whatever experience occurred may have been important an important learning opportunity for you, and so it would impact you profoundly. On the other hand, if I was somehow involved with that, but for me it was more of a secondary experience in the context of what else was going on at the time, I may not recall it. I have, human, friends who visit me in the night, and we have very important conversations uh, that they're not aware of. These are not dreams. It's funny, but you say you heard me once on Whitley Strieber, yet I couldn't tell you what I said or how long the interview was or what time of day it was or even the month. Was it this year or last year? See what I mean? So I'm thrilled that you were deeply touched and impacted by an experience or event that you feel may have involved me in some way. I'm happy for us both. Sweet cheers, Lizette. End quote. I had exactly zero idea what any of that meant, but I thought it added up. Psychic brain fart! Oh well. I can become God, but I can't move mountains, people. I've since had similar psychic brain fart experiences, and I do know what they are. Validation. Some signs you struggle to read, and some signs are thrown in your face like a doggy treat. It's what happens when purely linear thinking gives way to holism. Other aspects of reality inform you in impossible ways like a living dream. Nature speaks and synchronicities click in ways that are personally powerful but not egocentric. Merrily, merrily, merrily. It's all a living dream. And now I just want to read a little bit uh, from, if you'll indulge me, Appendix B of Urgency. Further commentaries on Appendix A. Um, because this gets to the feeling 
uh, well, not the feeling, the, the being a son. I don't know if I'm, I made this clear in that writing. I hope I did. I, I try to make it a little more clear in what I'm about to read. But all of those impressions and experiences of being a star, being planets, being the, the hot rock bursting through space from the Big Bang and the wind riding on all of this, you know, all of these and me, you know, still being me in bed wondering about whether I'm dying or not. All of those are happening at the exact same moment. And that's the part that is impossible to really put into words in a, in any way because you have to be that. That is your self-identity in that moment. It's not, you know, so it's kind of hard to think about, I guess. In any event, uh, you're a star, baby, is the uh, subheading here. Regarding the I Am Awakening, I want to make special note of what it felt like to be a sun giving life to the nearest planets that could sustain it. Although I evaporated into the all, there were four distinct feelings of being in this experience. One, the brain with its headache and feeling like it was going to snap. Two, me, the ego, afraid of dying, an expression of the brain. Three, spirit, that great formless intelligence divinely playing in and as all its creation. Four, star. One and two are localized and directly related, and three is the personification of everything, therefore including one and two and four. But why did I feel the fourth differently? I didn't feel being pine trees differently. I didn't feel being the ocean or the wind riding on it differently. All of everything in that non-local state felt like the same rushing, wonderful spirit with dense me whining about my death in the background. All of everything, that is, except the sun. The sun has its own indescribable self-contained consciousness. The first two words that come to mind are immense aloneness. Stars are not ever lonely and are completely aware of each other, but they are so totally satisfied with simply being that there is no movement outside of being. There is no want to do anything else. And of course, we know that in radiantly being stars, uh, I'm sorry, and, of course, we know that in radiantly being, stars give life. There's something else at play here, though, and I think it's the reason I experienced this as its own entity and not trees, ocean, wind, etc. I had two distinct, if confusing, impressions about being the sun when I adopted its point of view. In other words, not as an afterthought, but as it was happening, I knew two crucial things. One, some people become stars when they die. It is a rare graduation, but it happens to the holiest or holiest of us. Two, the star that I identified with is what I am right now. It is another aspect of me that I uh, had the rare treat of experiencing, but otherwise would never have known existed. How is number two possible? Never mind number one. <laughs> At least I can envision number one because it smacks of a mechanical process, something I can wrap my head around. But number two? Perhaps it's true, just as I've stated it, or perhaps this is where the translation system of the brain falters. The brain doesn't stop working just because it has merged with Godhead. In fact, it's only after my sense of self jettisoned out of the body into nothingness, and nothingness became self-aware, that I was again aware of my ego self and sensations in the brain, which caused fear. How is that possible if I really didn't leave the body? In time, there is movement. In time exists the brain. 
In time exists the brain-born self. For the brain to experience timelessness, there must be a catalyst. Once in the experience, you see that the mechanics of going from point A to point B are unreal. Movement is a necessary illusion as long as you remain trapped in time. Once out of time, it's clear that you always had a choice not to be trapped in it. The brain can work another way, and indeed it must. Born into locality, the brain is an organic device that can perceive non-locally. Non-locality transcends and includes locality, so going non-local means the brain stops perceiving the local. It means its perception can expand to encompass everything at once. This is not an unfathomable fairy tale, and uh, this is, this is, I'm sorry, this is an unfathomable fairy tale until it happens. Then, not so much. Saying that non-locality transcends and includes a locality is the same as saying everything is an illusion. This really is where spirit and science speak the same language, even if science isn't as daring in abandoning illusion. What does it mean that everything is an illusion? It means that locality is an illusion. Step outside of the monocular experience of the body, and you see from all perspectives at the same time, including the point of view of the formless awareness in which all perceives, in which all perspectives are embedded. A crude analogy is that of a housefly's eye. Flies have compound eyes made up of numerous units of individual eyes. If each unit were an organism, and one of those organisms were human, then the human could see locally as a human and or through all of the other organisms' perspectives as the non-local compound eye. What my experience further says is that the human can, at the same time, bring into existence its true nature as the self-awareness of the consciousness that is manifesting as those eyes. Most of us believe that what we see as individuals is all of what's there and how we see it is correct. Living this way has worked thus far, so you can rightly ask how it's an illusion, or how does it even matter that it is? One more analogy should clear this up. Have you ever watched a movie where the camera, acting as the viewer, takes you on a roller coaster ride? If you have, and you've also ridden on a real roller coaster, you know the vast difference between the two experiences. You would not say they are equally real experiences of a roller coaster, even if your stomach jumps in both cases. Both exist simultaneously, yet one is an illusion and the other is real. Unfortunately, you don't know what the difference is until you've seen the movie and also whipped around a roller coaster. Your refusal to ride one doesn't mean it doesn't exist. To deny it exists is crazy, right? Well, living crazy can't work for us forever. On that note, let's switch gears and deal with this female voice. I'm still not getting into my alien abductions because they have nothing to do with you. I won't burden you with my personal stuff unless it applies to your waking up. Nevertheless, I think it's important to give a little background on this womanly voice for which I've never seen a body. The compassionate female entity is so common to abduction literature that it's tempting to call her an alien. Problem is, indigenous cultures the world over have a similar, if not same, relationship with Mother Earth. Problem is, anyone who has ever taken the ayahuasca shamanic journey knows that the spirit entity this brew conjures is female. Problem is, the Gnostics listened to a goddess of wisdom named Sophia. Problem is, Parmenides, founder of Western logic, shaper of Western culture, inherited his knowledge from an unnamed goddess he connected with through stillness. 
Problem is, even though the New Testament is all about Jesus and his heavenly father, it's his human mother who speaks to Christians as Marian visions more times than not. Are these different female entities or the same? Anyone else find it deeply interesting that for all of Christianity's stamping out of the sacred feminine, in practice people commune with visions of the Virgin Mary? Is there an enlightenment principle that presents itself as female to men, women, and children alike? I don't know, but I can tell you that for, a, for someone who an entire postmodern subculture assumes is an alien, the woman I've spoken with sure does share the concerns of an archetypal mother nature. And that's where I'll leave my reading for now. Oh, God, I hate reading like that. <laughs> Very taxing. Um, but I think that should give you uh, quite a bit to ponder. Um, and uh, like I said, the next, whatever this is, talk episode, um, I will uh, I will ask you, you know, come on, be a guest. Let's talk. I'll just do a little bit of a monologue. And then if anyone wants to talk, we'll talk. And if not, then I'll just keep on blabbing, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think it's important um, to, understand, to understand that this isn't just my experience. This isn't, you know, this is all of us. Like, when the Kundalini comes alive in us, uh, if it does, <laughs> you may experience it differently according to however you have abused, neglected, been ignorant of your own body and psyche. So in other words, those are very specific. The Kundalini stuff is very specific to me because I ain't no guru. I ain't no yoga practitioner. So I'm a fat guy, right? So like it's going to do a lot of yoga and a lot of Tai Chi and a lot of like exercise looking stuff. Um, and I'm no psychic, so it's going to awaken these psychic centers and all of that. It may do it differently for you because you may be screwed up in a different way, <laughs> right? Um, but this no-thing identity, this nothingness um, into amness uh, is universal. Um, of course, I didn't know this at the time because I just didn't read. <laughs> I didn't read any of this literature. But it's like, you know, you see this, it's the same, essentially the same creation story you will find in uh, First Nations Australians, First Nations New Zealanders, um, the, being the sun. I didn't even know this until uh, I read it last week. Um, and now I can't remember what the word is, but there's a Lakota word for essentially um, that we carry with us an aspect of star energy it is given to us at birth we coexist with it in our bodies and when you die um essentially that aspect of you travels back up into the milky way and back to the star um so flavors of that experience right uh that's a lot to explore and maybe i will ask um my friend teokas and ghost horse to uh come speak with us about that uh but again, the nothingness, thingness, we see this in Hinduism, we see this in Buddhism. Um, Judeo-Christian has a bastardization of it, which is like, God comes first and then creates nothingness, which is garbage. That's the trick of the Bible, which is like to sort of say a truth, but let's put God first. That way, everything is identified with you, because God creates man in God's image, 
And then man has dominion over the earth. I mean, this is the entire problem of our our civilization is our dominion over the earth, that we are gods of the earth. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian saying that or a scientist who's rejected Christ, but uh, is nonetheless a product of a Christian civilization, uh, tackling, tackling the world as if you are God. Um, but perhaps it's another story for another time. Um, I just want to, you know, I guess ask that you reflect on, on, on that as we move forward, the fact of nothingness, because again, it's not my own experience. And in order for something to be true, like this goes into discernment. If you want to know, like, what's the difference between like a delusion or something and something that's true, the thing that's true will have components will have rational anchors to them, right? So it's not just all like airy-fairy stuff because it's whole. And part of that wholeness is rational. Like part of what is transrational, it's not just that which transcends rationality, transcends and includes. So whatever, there's always going to be a purely rational component to it, in other words. And so if I were to break down that experience rationally, I would say that uh, that all concepts exist in intelligence, right? They are of intelligence. That's self-evident. There's no controversy there. Um, And materialistically, scientifically, humanists uh, even, like to think that consciousness exists in the brain. But the concept of nothingness is a concept that necessarily exists prior to the brain or prior to and inclusive of the brain, right? You can't have nothingness uh, (laughs) if it comes from somewhere. Uh, Then you've got thingness. So nothingness is a concept that only exists, quote-unquote exists, prior to anything existing, including the brain. But it isn't just prior to. It is prior to and inclusive of. Because once you admit that that nothingness is this concept that exists prior to what you're admitting is intelligence exists prior to all things. There is intelligence per se. And what is intelligence per se doing? Intelligence per se is being. What is intelligence being? It's being all things, including the skeptic who says none of this exists except in the brain. (laughs) Right? So that is what nothingness is. It is intelligence prior to and inclusive of all things. So there is no creator divorced from creation. There is this flux of creating constant, you know, but from the perspective of time, we would say it's unfolding either linearly or cyclically, but from that ultimate pulled back perspective, everything already exists right now. And all of this sense of living and dying is it breathing with life. I'll leave you with that.